What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast, episode 68 today. This is Dave, and we are coming off of a marvelous, fantastic, sometimes hard to believe, weekend of college football. So, of course, going into the conference championship games, um, as you're listening to this today slash tomorrow, um, we are obviously going to dive right into those. Uh, and then obviously the playoff implications as well. Um, a lot of fun stuff to get to both my team, Florida state and Mike's team, Michigan are very well and truly in the hunt for making the playoff. So obviously we're excited as well. Mike, how are you feeling about Michigan's third time in a row beating Ohio state? Holy shit. I mean, whew, I will get more into the the specifics and everything, I think, a bit later when we're talking about all the games, as will you with Florida State. But it's a very different feeling from last year. Last year was like unbelievable hype. Um, and this year, it's almost like it hasn't fully like registered. Like it's, it's almost, it's, it's almost like numb, but in a good way, like, wow, like we did it. Um, but I think that's a good thing because the last two years where we beat Ohio state doing so just felt so outside the realm of possibility. As you know, for me, I was like, we just can't do it. There's no way. Um, and then, you know, last year was, there's no way we do it again. They're pissed. It's uh, in Ohio State. There's no way. And now it's, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, we're going to win every year. It's a regularly expected occurrence. You know, I'm not that far gone. But like it feels like a rivalry again um, where unlike the last two years, I actually went into it like, why not? You know, like we we have a real chance here. We This is a winnable game. And I was hype as shit when we won, of course, especially since I spent that last drive kind of feeling like we were going to lose at the hands of Marvin Harrison Jr. And then finally seeing Rod Moore get that pick was unbelievable. But, you know, um, at the end, it didn't feel as much like doing the impossible and more just like satisfyingly beating a rival. And that's what I've been wanting this game to feel like for a while so even if my hype is at a different level like maybe a lower level than it has been the last two years i think like in the grand scheme i feel even better this year than i did like because even two years ago like we won and we were a better team but it felt fluky like okay yeah we went every eight years or so and now it's like okay look at that uh it's actually a game again how Gotta love it. The game is now a game again. Once again, um, cool. Well, like Mike said, we're gonna get a lot more into the college football talk, breaking down uh, last weekend's action, and obviously looking ahead to this weekend and beyond. Um, but before that, it is time for off the top. It's Mike's turn to come up with the prompt. Let's see what you got. It is my turn. 
And actually, before we go into off the top, I do want to say one thing and just kind of address the fact that we're bringing episode 68 late. So I actually had a couple of people uh, send a text my way after our social media post about why we canceled episode 68 the last time around. I just wanted to say everything's good. No need to freak out. Sometimes, you know, just stuff comes up or you're not feeling it or whatever. Uh, We're both big on mental health on this podcast. Uh, Super important to, you know, look after yourself, do what you need to do to be right. And so I just want to address like everything's good. We're back to doing our thing, but appreciate the well wishes and everything. Also, take care of yourself. So that said, let's get into off the top. On to the fun stuff. So this is the college football episode, I guess, of this rotation of events, I guess. But let's add a little bit of NFL into it and college football. If you haven't guessed already, we're talking about the draft. So for the last, like... 16 months or so um the like prospective number one pick for 2024 has been caleb williams so the short version of this is do you think that's still the case but it's like now i'm asking the question but like now i want to build to it just a little bit um looking at the current draft order right now you know, if the season ended today, blah, blah, blah. The first pick would go to the Bears because they own the Panthers 1-10 and record. Um, which, by the way, LOL at the Panthers, uh, sucking so much ass that they're 1-10 through 11 games. They fired their coach, and they don't even get the number one. They don't have a first-round pick next year. My question is, why not just also fire the GM while you're at it? I mean, he's the one who made that awful trade. That means that you don't get the number one pick this year and you lost DJ Moore. Um, just just clean house at that point. Also that Bryce Young can still not even have the best rookie quarterback season while we watch CJ Stroud ball out of his mind. Imagine if there was a podcast where at least one of the members had said, I don't know, I would have taken CJ Stroud first. Um, anyway, so the Bears would have the number one pick, followed by the Cardinals, Patriots, Bears again, Commanders, Giants, Titans, Jets, Bucks, a lot of teams that could be quarterback hunting. Um, meanwhile, you look at the Heisman odds right now, not only is Caleb Williams not leading it, he's not in the top 10. Uh, There are a handful of quarterbacks um, above him, like Bo Nix. Speaking of things that we've been right about, um, seem to recall us bringing up his name early on in the season. Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix Jr., Jalen Milrow. Um, I mean, granted, he won't be draft eligible, but still. So back to the question, is Caleb Williams still the number one pick? Is he still the top quarterback taken? Because I didn't even mention like other positions that are available in the draft brock bowers marvin harrison um lots like liadu ladu or however you say his name Mm -hmm. um well i'll say this at colorado we've seen travis hunter ball out on offense and defense um caleb williams doesn't do that um, he only balls out on offense and then he doesn't play defense. And so therefore 
it's not his fault that he is not in the Heisman rankings because USC's defense was atrocious, shockingly bad, and the reason why USC fell out of the race a lot earlier than I think a lot of people would have expected. Um, I think Caleb Williams, unless something comes up in like the medicals or whatever um, leading up to the, the draft, I don't see a world where he's not the number one pick. Um, he honestly didn't have a great offensive line, didn't have great playmakers around him, and then obviously did not have a defense where they were going to be able to play complimentary football. It was one of those situations to me where I watched him play, I watched USC, and just thought, man, this guy is literally having to try and do everything himself um, for the most part. And I don't care how good you are. It's you're not going to be able to sustain that over long periods of time. Like, yeah, you can go crazy and take over a game and win a game on your own. We've seen that before, Uh, but over the course of a season, there are too many other good teams and too many other factors coming into play to where that's just not going to happen. So in terms of talent, uh, in terms of obviously how important the quarterback position is, um, I don't see a world where he's not. Um, I can I could see somebody taking Drake May over him. Um, I I definitely would not do that. I think Caleb definitely has all of the the tools to be really really successful, especially in this uh, in today's NFL. Um, he's kind of what you want. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the Heisman rankings too much into it. Um, and honestly, I don't think it matters who has the number one pick. Um, I, it looks like it's going to be the bears for sure, because the Panthers are just going to be so bad. Um, but even like if they decided to keep Justin Fields, they would be able to get a King's ransom for the number one pick. Um, and they'd still probably be able to draft, you know, Bowers or Marvin Harrison or, or whoever um, and move down a couple slots. Caleb Williams is going number one for sure. Um, and I think it's going to be deserved. Yeah, his season wasn't as good as it was the previous season when he won the Heisman, but I still think he showed enough and he's shown enough in the past to where he deserves to be number one. And I guess to like double down on what you were saying, the bears do still have their own pick and they've been ass in their own respect at three and eight. They're picking, you know, if season ended today, they'd pick fourth in addition to first. So like, yeah, like, like you said, maybe they want to keep fields and eh, like, I don't think Fields in and of himself is worth giving up on yet, but there's a lot of noise that the Bears are just going to like reset, like coach, GM, etc. And, you know, NFL, when that happens, they tend to just draft a new the guy. Um, So I wouldn't be shocked to see, you know, them overhaul all the way through and then start with Caleb Williams, which is not exactly a bad piece to start with. So even if they keep number one, they'll still pick again at four and can probably get Marvin Harrison Jr. or Brock Bowers or someone else. 
Yeah. And and you see the uh, time and time again where teams want to reset the rookie quarterback clock uh, because especially in recent years, teams that have had a quarterback on a rookie contract have been able to stack up the roster in other areas uh, and compete for a Super Bowl if they have a rookie quarterback who, uh, you know, who's playing really well on that that cheap of a deal. So it makes a lot of sense for for the Bears to move in that direction, um, which we'll see. Uh, but I do think Caleb Williams should be the pick at one. But yeah, I think that's um, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, we've just got uh, a few more weeks of college football, and then we're going to get into draft talk um, as the NFL season starts to wind down as well. So obviously, we're going to be all about that breaking all of those things down as we come to it. Um, but speaking of college football, when we come back, we are going to get into um, all of the different teams who we feel have a realistic shot of making the playoff. Okay, we're back. And let me just say, I hope y'all are listening to this before the conference championship games. That's obviously when we're recording this. And so everything that we're saying is based on what happened in rivalry week and what we maybe expect to happen or what might happen as a result of the conference championship games and this is looking at basically all the teams that we think have a reasonable shot at making the college football playoffs this of course being the last year where they have that four team playoff bracket before next year where they go on to 12 and let me just say 12 is going to be so much better than uh, four and you know we were just talking about this a minute ago but like uh and david if you want to like go back and read or say again exactly what the parameters are for it but the beauty behind it is it's just going to be so much more scientific instead of a selection committee going in like into a room and eating a papa john's pizza and then coming out like we've done it here they are deal with it we now have like some some formulaic reasoning behind like who it's going to be and everyone's just going to know who it is. So that's going to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, this may change because of the PAC 12, basically it's going It's going to be Oregon state or Washington state are going to be, it's one of the two are going to make it into the playoff. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to let that happen. So um, we'll see how that influences the, the, the new playoff format, but, um, so the, the top six, um, will get automatic bids and those are the six highest ranked conference champions. So obviously theoretically it would be the power five and then any of the, you know, the group of five or, or whoever it is, the, the highest ranked, uh, champion from there would get and automatically and then the next six teams to make the playoff would just be the next six highest ranked teams so in this situation we're only really going to be talking about eight teams for four spots um but next year it would be really interesting to um to kind of see who would automatically be in um obviously we still have the conference championship games to go but it would really complete i mean it would completely change the conversation of what we're having of there are going to be teams this year that don't make it that 
probably have a, a good argument to do so. So that's that's why we're in favor of the 12-team format. Maybe this format isn't the best one that they could have come up with, but it's definitely an improvement, and I'm excited to see how it all unfolds next year. However, we're still in 2023, which means we got to work with what we have. Um, so we have the top eight teams and just talk a little bit about each one and we'll kind of go from there. So number one, as I, th- I feel like it's, it's probably deserved is the university of Georgia. Um, obviously coming off of that win over Georgia tech, that's not surprising. What is a little bit more surprising is the fact that Georgia tech put up more points against Georgia than they allowed, than Georgia had allowed any other team all season. Um, which you would not have expected Georgia Tech to be the, the the highest scoring team against UGA this year. But, you know, rivalry games, it can get pretty crazy. Uh, but, of course, no one was really ever too concerned, I don't think, about Georgia losing that game. Uh, they were just going to be too good. Um, and that was the case. So, obviously, moving forward into this weekend... Georgia versus Alabama. I feel like it, this is the story of the last few years in college football. Um, one of the the great rivalries right now. I'm really looking forward to this game. Um, I I feel like, man, if Alabama wins, then that creates some real headaches for this committee. I feel like I know that they're supposed to be um partisan or whatever um or i guess it's by whatever i know they're supposed to be neutral um but if i'm them i'm like i'm really hoping that georgia pulls it out because i don't want to have to try to deal with what like the carnage that would ensue if alabama pulls it off but like we saw in that game in the iron bowl alabama is capable of the miraculous um and anything can happen in college football. So I'm really looking forward to that game. And I, I do think that, yes, Georgia has the edge, of course. But Alabama and Jalen Milrow really improved over the course of the season. So I think it's, again, it's going to be uh, a really interesting game to watch. Yeah, I mean, number one, no pun intended, Georgia. Um think they got caught looking ahead here against georgia tech uh yeah they only won by a little bit but this felt like one of those like no matter what the score ended up being you know like i watched that whole game and you know i was rooting for tech because my fiance is a tech fan so i'm inheriting that you know and obviously rooting for tech enjoying it being close never really felt like we had a chance at it, uh, even when it was close. There were some moments that could have changed the outcome a bit, um, particularly not scoring right before halftime. It's kind of tough. But yeah, Georgia, I think, could have snapped it on if they needed to. Um, facing Alabama, Alabama's one loss was to Texas, which is a good team who we'll talk about. And that was back on like September 9th or 19th or something like that. Um, since then, they've only gotten better. Jalen Milrow... He's a Heisman candidate. He won't win it, but he is a Heisman candidate. Um, And there aren't many teams out there that I feel like can beat Georgia, but Bama is one of them. And of course, 
the extension of that is there aren't many coaches that I feel like can outcoach Kirby Smart, but Nick Saban is one of them. Will he? Doubt it. But <laughs> we know who Nick Saban is. Um, yeah, there are definitely people that want Alabama in there. Um, Bama fans or otherwise, just SEC fans. But like you said, if you're on that selection committee, you've got to be like, please just lose. <laughs> Make our lives easier. Because if Bama wins, and I mean, not to mention like um, if Texas wins too, then they've got to be looking at it like, wait, so now we have a one-loss, two-time defending national champion Georgia team. We have a one-loss SEC championship Bama team that beat them. We have a one-loss Texas team that beat the team that just beat Georgia. We've got Michigan, Washington, Florida State, like just looking everywhere. Like someone help us. Um, yeah, they're they're going to be hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people coming after them, <laughs> regardless of of who ends up getting left out. Um, uh, so I, I looked up the the matchup predictor on ESPN for the SEC championship game right now they're giving Georgia a 52% chance, which obviously means Alabama has a 48% chance. So really we're cutting hair. We're splitting hairs right now. Um, according to the analytics, I can't wait. Um, it's, it's interesting because, uh, my wife went to Georgia. A lot of our friends are Georgia fans. Um, and so it's, I'm kind of in a weird position where I'm like, sitting there with a bunch of Georgia fans, like I would probably rather Georgia win than Alabama win. Um, but I'm just, I'm just kind of there. Um, and so just the football, uh, lover that I am, I am looking forward to this game. Um, there are going to be other games that I'm that, you know, Washington, Oregon, which we'll talk about those two teams here in a little bit as well. Um, that one to me is even more interesting um, because of the previous game that they played earlier in the year. But Georgia Alabama, I feel like that and Washington Oregon are, are the two standout games of this weekend. Um, and you know, in terms of Georgia versus Alabama, like I said, you got to give Georgia the edge. But Alabama coming off of that crazy win over Auburn, they're going to be on that emotional high. They're going to be feeling like. Why can't we go on and and you know get Georgia back after the, the past couple of years? Um, so definitely looking forward to that one for sure. Um, so let's move on, uh, which you already kind of spoke a little bit about your feelings about Michigan at, at the beginning of the show. But obviously Michigan ranked number two um, coming off of that win against Ohio State, third, third win in a row. Uh, definitely a close game, definitely a hard fought game, but, um, in my opinion, watching the game, it definitely seemed like in the second half, Michigan controlled the tempo a lot better. Um, it was one of those things where, yeah, I mean, JJ McCarthy, it's, I feel like it's, it's kind of got to be tough to be him because you're just not really asked. To, it's kind of like when you're, a. uh, like a, a, a shooter, a three point guy in the NBA. And you're just kind of 
waiting for your shot, waiting for your opportunity, and then they finally pass you the ball for an open three, but you haven't really shot in you know in, in a quarter or two, and yet you're expected to to be perfect. Uh, I feel like that's what JJ McCarthy kind of has to deal with at times with this Michigan offense because it is so run heavy. Uh, but he was able to do what he needed to do, um, and I think pretty much we you've been able to say that about him all year except for that random bowling green game. Um, but other than that, he's been pretty solid. Um, and you know, it's, it's going to be tough. Zach Zinner getting hurt. That was pretty brutal. Um, it was kind of crazy how they immediately got that long rushing touchdown, the play after he got, um, he got removed from the field. Um, so th- that was pretty cool. Um, obviously like, I don't think Michigan is going to have a, you know, that I think that's more of, of a huge loss in terms of like leadership and everything. Yes. He's a great player. I have confidence that Michigan's going to be able to, to still have a, a, a very good offensive line, even without him. Um, but in terms of like leadership wise, that's, that's where I think it hurts a lot. Uh, but again, it's one of those things where you can rally around him. And I think that's, that's what they did um, after the injury. I, the running game looked a lot better. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I was, I was really impressed. Um, Ohio state, they, they also played really, really well. Obviously Marvin Harrison is an animal. Uh, I can't wait to see him on Sundays. Um, but in terms of Michigan, you got Iowa and we don't need to go into Iowa too too much here. I think there's already been enough said. Yes, their offense barely has a pulse. Um yes, their defense is very good. We know this. Um as a Michigan fan, somebody who's watched watched Michigan all year, um are you concerned about Iowa's defense? Do you think that there's a chance that maybe Iowa turns it into a defensive struggle? Um you know, kind of stuffs up the run game um, and then kind of, you know, keeps it close until the end. Are you concerned about that? Or are you thinking like, well, I don't know if they're going to score a single point on us. And and I know that we'll score at least some on them. So we should be fine. I. So I'm not looking at this game like, whatever you know like oh we after what we just did you know beating ohio state for the third time in a row like iowa is going to be a joke i'm definitely not looking at it that way but i am like this is the third most concerned i've been all year you know um i view it somewhat similarly to penn state in that like penn state going into that game had a revered defense and we just kind of still do yeah. Um, and going into that game, we were just like, okay, we'll still just kind of do what we want to do. I mean, the stats for JJ McCarthy don't look great. He threw for like 80 yards that game, but like on like something like six of eight throwing the path, throwing the ball or whatever. Um, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but I remember low yardage, but on low passing numbers as well. Uh, and then, of course, the stat that a lot of people talked about after the game was Michigan 
ending the game running the ball 32 consecutive times. That really stands out to me. It is truly just an imposition of will, you know, and looking ahead at this Iowa game, that's sort of what I'm anticipating. When we played Ohio State, like that first quarter was pretty slow. Uh, A lot of defensive stops, a lot of three and outs, punting the ball, and it felt like waiting to see who was going to break first. But for the past like three years, when people have talked about Michigan, they've talked about like just kind of like being like a boa constrictor and just, you know, we're going to do our thing. And then eventually you'll get tired because we play such a physical brand of football that most teams just aren't ready for. And then the other team breaks first. And that's kind of my guess as to what happens against Iowa. Uh, I'm sure they'll have possessions where um, they get a three and out on us. Um, I'm sure there'll be possessions where Blake Corum and or Donovan Edwards get stuffed for like no gain and we have to punt the ball away. But I trust our ability to eventually break something off way more than I trust theirs. They don't really have any offensive pieces that scare me at the moment. Um, They could beat us. I just don't think they're going to. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's where I stand as well as like, I can potentially see a situation where JJ McCarthy, like if really, I think Iowa has to force turnovers in plus territory to where they're already in scoring position when they get the ball. Uh, And, you know, if they can turn one or two of those opportunities into uh, six points, 12 points, 14 points, um, then they have, that's, that's really their only chance. Um, I mean, I'm not scared of, of any of their offensive players either. I mean, the last, I'm just going to read out the last uh, few score lines that they've had. Um, they lost to Minnesota 12 to 10, uh, October 21st. Their next game, they won 10 to 7 over Northwestern. 22 0 versus Rutgers on November 11th. So they got into the, the 20s. Um, then they won 15 13 over Illinois, and then 13 10 over Nebraska. Um, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be overly concerned. They got shut out by Penn State 31 to nothing earlier in the season. I'm not necessarily sitting here saying that it's going to be a 31 to nothing game, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a scoreline that's pretty close to that. Um, because let's be honest, like if Iowa can't put away Nebraska or Illinois, then what are they really going to do against Michigan? The only thing can be if Michigan comes out and they don't take this game seriously, Iowa takes takes the ball away in plus territory um, and is opportunistic with those those chances. But I don't I don't really see it happening. And then of course Michigan wins that game. Um, you know, I think at min- at worst, they would probably be number two. Yeah. So I guess to respond to that part first, Georgia's got to be the safest team right now. Um, I think Georgia, unless they get completely shit on by Alabama, 
I think they're in even if they lose. I just don't see them not making the playoffs right now. But Michigan, you win, you're in. And of the teams that we're going to talk about, they have the easiest game this week against Iowa. So feels pretty good. Um, I don't want to narrativize this too much, but like as far as like not taking the game seriously, that's what we did against TCU last year. And a lot of guys came back to, you know, the whole like finish the job shit. Um, and it, it would be stupid to be like, oh, they said they're going to finish the job. Therefore, they will win the championship. No, that's idiotic because then everyone would just do that and say that, you know. But mm-hmm. I think that level of motivation, that determination is going to prevent them from sleeping on teams. So feel good against Iowa. Um I'll watch that game on the edge of my seat because, you know, uh, Murphy's Law and all that. But um, analytically speaking, I don't feel too terrified. I'm just hoping they don't make me eat crow on that one. But, yeah, uh, Michigan wins. They're in. There's no chance that Michigan wins this and doesn't make it. Uh, That would be unreal. Um, They they needed to beat Ohio State, and Ohio State does have one more – quality win on their resume um than michigan had before that game um so i guess just to talk about them since they're not in a conference championship game this week if everything in the universe goes wrong for like everyone above them ohio state can make it but they got in last year with like a super outside shot at doing so and everything clicked the right way for them and they got in as the four seed that shit ain't happening this year. That was cute. They're seven, so they're within that like eight teams that we said we'd talk about, and so this is us talking about them, but like less than a one percent chance. It's possible, but it ain't happening. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's go to Washington because they're they're next. They're they're number three. Um. And I think. This game, like I already mentioned, they're playing Oregon. Um, And I think this game in particular is one that I've been looking forward to. And I think a lot of people have been looking forward to um, ever since Washington ended up pulling it out in a really close game um, earlier in in the year. We knew that if everybody held serve, it would come down to Oregon versus Washington in the conference championship game. And whoever wins the game will make the college football playoff. Uh, I have no doubt about that. Um, because of course, Washington undefeated Oregon, their only loss is to Washington and Oregon, honestly, after that loss has looked like maybe the best team in football. Um, I mean, they have been stomping all over teams Bo Nix has played like he probably deserves the, the Heisman Trophy. Um, yes, we can talk about the fact that the Pac-12, they're, you know, the defenses aren't aren't great um, to, a, to a degree, but I just feel like they really, other than that game against USC, um, they really have come out and, and just kind of imposed their will on teams put up a lot of points um, and 
so I, I think whoever wins that game will make it. Um, Washington specifically, I mean, they have been going through it the, <laughs> the past few weeks. Um, I don't think that anyone can can look at them and, and say like, yep, they have been dominant. Um, they have won their past few games by three, two, seven, ten, nine, eight, three, seven. Um, they had a, a really good start to the year. And then out after they beat Oregon, it's almost like they used up all their bullets and they've just been trying to, um, to make it through until now, um, after the, the exhaustion of that game. Um, I mean, they've made it through every game undefeated. So you do have to give them credit for that. They have, uh, come back to win, um, multiple, multiple times, um, Penix has, has shown that he can be clutch when he needs to be, um, their coach, um, DeBoer has shown that he, he's willing to take risks. Um, like we saw in that game against Washington state as a Florida state fan, I was really hoping that they were going to lose that one. Um, and maybe they should have, they did not play well, but that, that fourth down call, um, ended up almost even like saving their season. So you got to give them credit for that. I don't look at them as a favorite in this game against Oregon. I honestly think that Oregon is the favorite um, looking at it from my perspective. Um, in fact, they're actually Oregon's favored by nine and a half points. So that's more than I, I hadn't seen that until now. That's more than I expected. Um, and ESPN analytics also giving Oregon a 76% chance to win. Um, so everything's kind of pointing in the direction of, of the ducks. However, Washington has found a way in every single game to win. And I think that does mean something, um, from your perspective, Mike, going into this game, Oregon versus Washington, um, in the PAC 12 championship, who do you think has the edge? Um, and are you looking forward to this game more or Georgia, Alabama more? So I think Oregon is going to win this game. They just look like the more complete team, if not the most complete team right now. And Washington has Michael Penix Jr., sure, but you can't even really be like, oh, well, they have the amazing player, so that might just you know paper over their deficiencies. Because Oregon has Bo Nix, who's more likely to win the Heisman right now, it seems. So, like, top to bottom, Oregon just seems like the better team. Yes, Washington does keep finding ways to win, and this is just like a three and five matchup. It's not like a huge difference. So either of these teams could reasonably win. I would go with Oregon though. And as for your Georgia Alabama question, I hmm, I'm like nervously looking forward to that game more. Um, it's a different kind of looking forward to it. Um, in terms of games I'd rather watch, uh, I'd rather watch Oregon Washington, uh, to see the battle of Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix, which no disrespect to Carson Beck and Jalen Milrow who have had great seasons Mm -hmm. in their own rights. Uh, but to be fair, uh, 
neither of them, I think, are going to the NFL draft. I know Jalen Milrow is not, and I think Carson Beck is going to be there next year as well. I, I want to say he said he, that's I, his intention. I think he's, yeah, I think he's eligible, but I haven't heard anything about him actually coming out. So with that being said, this is a matchup that we'll likely see again next year, whereas both Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. will be going to the NFL this year. And so it's like, this is the time to see that matchup. And I'm, and it's the top two for Heisman right now. Like that is a story in and of itself. That said, the Georgia Alabama one has greater implications. Um, because you'd think like Washington, Oregon, the winner's in, right? If Washington wins, they're in. If Oregon wins, then it kind of depends on if Alabama won. Uh, because what of what we said earlier. Like, I mean, this is I'll do this quickly because it is repeating, but like if Alabama wins, they're looking at that one loss Alabama team, the one loss Georgia team, and let's say Oregon wins, the one loss Oregon team, uh, plus Michigan, plus Florida State, like Georgia and Alabama means more for the playoffs because of how everything could go to shit in a heartbeat if Alabama wins. But the game itself, I'm looking forward to watching more. That's Washington, Oregon. Okay. Um, To be fair, I feel like Oregon, if they win, they are in because their only loss was by three points to Washington. And so then they can just redeem that loss by then winning and then winning the conference championship. And to me, they're already fifth. So there's no way that you can leave them out in that situation. Um, so I feel like that's a win and end situation for him, regardless of whatever happens. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Georgia, Alabama also, again, that's, that has major implications too. Let me just pose this and then kick it to you. Florida state. That's it. Mm-hmm. Speak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um no uh florida state's got louisville um who shit the bed against kentucky how useless uh now florida state like i guess here's what i'm struggling with and what i'm sure plenty are struggling with the jordan travis thing i don't first of all prayers up i hope he's okay I mean, obviously he's not right now. Um, wish him the full recovery, you know, but he's not hes not coming back for these games. Um, I don't think it's fair to be like, oh, your starting quarterback is out, and even though you're still winning games, you can't be in the playoffs. That would be stupid. But I'm looking at basically what we've been laying out this whole time. Uh, Michigan wins, they're in. Let's say Oregon or Washington, you win, you're in. That's two. If Georgia loses to Bama and Florida State beats Louisville, we haven't even, that's not even mentioning Texas yet, but they're at seven. Forget them. Um, For the purposes of this question, Bama beats Georgia, Michigan beats Iowa, Oregon beats Washington. Does Florida State get in? Do you think they should be in if Florida State beats Louisville? Yeah. Um, 
it's just so it, it's it's a tough question, of course. Um, I, when when I was watching that game, where and I, I saw Jordan Travis's leg bend the wrong way, um, my immediate first thought was the season's over. Not that I thought that we were going to lose to freaking North Alabama. Not that I thought that we were going to lose to Florida um, or even necessarily Louisville. But my thought was, I just don't see with freaking Tate Rodemaker. I just don't see a world where we can win against a lot of these top teams that we've been talking about. Um, It's just, it's just going to be really tough to, to make that happen. Um, And so in terms of who is going to be the best team going into the, you know, after the conference championship games, um, who's, who are the best teams I think that the answer to that question is going to be different than the question of who deserves to get in. Because in my mind, if you are a team in the power five and you go the entire season without losing a game, you deserve to be in the playoff. I don't care um, who it is. I don't, I don't care what your schedule was. Um, And it's not like Florida state, had a, a bunch of cakewalks. Um, I think in like the strength of record metric, they're like top five in the country or something like that. Um, yeah, there weren't any like Michigan versus Ohio State games or anything, um, but there were a good amount of good teams that Florida State ended up winning um, or ended up beating. So I just feel like you can't leave them out if they go undefeated. Um the, the, the point of, of football is winning. And if you beat everybody who's in front of you, you deserve a chance to make it. Um, again, that being said, are they going to be one of the four best teams at the end of the day? Probably not. Um, and that's that's just an unfortunate situation. That just, it, it makes it hurt even more uh, that, that Jordan got, got injured because... I think with him, we would have had a great chance. Um, but without him, I don't I don't really see how we could beat Georgia or Michigan or Oregon um, or or probably even like Alabama or any of these teams. Like I, I don't I don't really see it. Um, so. My answer is, I do think that we'll beat Louisville and I do think that we'll make the playoff. And I do think we'll get bounced in the first round, regardless of who we play. Um, and so it's it's just a tough situation to be in. Like I'm still going to cheer. I'm still going to be excited about it um, because this is a way different situation than Florida State has found themselves in over the past few years. But you know, and, and I will take that for sure. It's just kind of a bittersweet feeling of like, well what could have been, you know, and also one of these teams that's, that is deserving just because of the flaw of the four team format, one of these, or even potentially two or three of these teams um, aren't going to be able to get in. And maybe 
they are a better team right now than Florida State, but they have a loss on their resume. And in my mind, if you have a loss and you have a team that doesn't have a loss, the undefeated one wins out. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I guess, first of all, it it's things like this that make me just lament that the 12-team playoff hasn't started yet. It would just be so much simpler if this were the year with 12 teams where you don't have to choose between like the teams over here with one loss that, you know, now because of this Jordan Travis injury look better than the undefeated team, like having to appease like both sides of it. Um, I think the, the one way I'll disagree and it may, I think it's a disagreement if I heard you correctly. So feel free to correct me. Um, I think if Bama wins against Georgia, Florida State does not make it, um, even undefeated. Um, for the other reasons you mentioned, I think at that point, the playoff committee probably just goes Michigan, Oregon, or Washington, whichever. And then Bama just beat the national champion, and the other team is the national champion. Um, and they probably go like, sure, Florida State's undefeated, but look at their team minus Jordan Travis, they're not going to beat any of those four teams. So the the way that I interpreted your question was, should they? Um, and so that's, that's my answer. Um, I can, t- I can definitely see a world where they leave Florida state out because that's the, that's the easier, you could just blame the injury and then like move on. And then yeah, Florida state fans get mad. But then also I think, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to feel the same way as me of like, we're probably getting bounced in the semifinal anyway. Um, and it was just a real stroke of bad luck um, as, as to why that, that all happened. So I can definitely see it falling that way. Um, I can also definitely see them keeping Florida state in. Um, and like, depending again, it kind of depends on like how these, um, these games play out too, because they are going to look at, of course, how each team looks like a Florida state completely wipes the floor with Louisville and Alabama beats Georgia by like a field goal, like a, you know, field goal at the end of the game to win it or something. Then like, yeah, okay. Alabama did beat Georgia and then Georgia, you know, only lost that one game. But, wow, Florida State looks really good with Tate Rodemaker, and Louisville's not a terrible team. Like, they're not, like, they're not a top 10 team, but they're a top 15, top 20 team. Um, maybe that, like, that changes things, you know? So, I do think that there's there's a chance that Florida State makes it. I think there's a chance that Florida State doesn't make it. Um, I'm kind of just, like, let the chips fall where they may. But, in my opinion and this is not Florida state bias at all. If this was the case with any other team, I would say the same thing. If a team wins all their games, they got to, they got to get in because what else are they supposed to do? I know we had that UCF crap a few years ago. That was different because they weren't a power five team with, you know, that kind of schedule. I think they had one good win that, that entire year. Um, But in terms of power five teams, if you win all your games, I feel like you should be in. And it's that simple because why, why even play all the games at that point? 
Like you literally did everything that you could do. You won every game and that's not enough. Um, I feel like that's just, that's extremely unfair. Um, And again, I would say that even if it wasn't my team, that's being affected by this. Well, yeah. Like I think both of us have been like critical of the number four for the number of playoff teams since they came up with it. I feel like Mm -hmm. the first year, and this was pre-podcast, of course, this was in our college radio days, but I feel like that year we had a conversation where we were like, there are five, like there's the power five. It's well within reason that each conference could have an undefeated team that wins its championship. What do you do? You like, it literally doesn't allow for it. it. It's stupid. Like it seems so like inherent, you know, like there are, it's the power of five. How do you settle on a four team playoff? Like that's gotta be the first question asked. Like mm-hmm. what was happening in this meeting? But yeah, honestly, thank God we're almost done with it. I do want to point out the win against Florida. Um, yeah, it was by nine points, but rivalry games you always have to take with a grain of salt anyway. That's technically more points than Alabama beat Auburn by, and Auburn had just lost to New Mexico State and got <laughs> blown out by them the week before. So all I'm saying is, like, if you want to talk about, oh, they didn't look that great against Florida or whatever, well, Alabama relied on a freaking miracle in Auburn absolutely laying down and waving the white flag. Um, like you can't, you can't look at that game and say, Oh, that's a better win. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, and the game against Louisville. Yeah. I mean, they've lost to Kentucky like three years in a row, five years in a row, something like that. Um, they've, they've definitely been a surprise this year, but I, I don't, really see Florida State losing um it would it would make things a lot easier on everybody else if if we did but um ESPN's giving us a 75% chance to win um I feel like that's probably accurate like I feel like if we play the game four times we probably win three of them um so we'll see what happens there um and we'll talk a little bit more once we get into this next team which is Texas about what would happen if that did happen because Texas is in a really weird situation. Um, they are definitely the team that is going to have to take care of business against an Oklahoma state team that has had one of the weirder seasons of any team in college football this year. Um, I really don't know what to make of them. I feel like t- they could come out and and whoop Texas. They could come out and lay an egg. It could be a close game. Like I feel like any, any of these things could happen um, because they lost to UCF 45 to three a few weeks ago. And then, but the week before they beat Oklahoma, (laughs) it's, I mean, they, they've beaten Kansas. They've lost to South Alabama 33 to seven. Like you just, you do not know what you're going to get from them week over week. The only thing that you do know is that, their freaking beast, Ollie Gordon the second, is probably going to show up and make it and you know make a statement on the game. Um, so, but obviously, tech, going back to Texas, like they should win that game realistically. Um, and 
their only loss has been to Oklahoma, which is, you know, still top 12 team in the country. Um, they are just unfortunately just, they've been ranked, them and Alabama have been ranked at like seven and eight, which, you know, for what feels like forever. Um, they've been just outside and they're going to need certain results to go certain ways in order to make it. So they're going to need Michigan to lose to Iowa, which would basically put Michigan out of the running, in my opinion. Um, they would need Florida State to lose to Louisville, which would put Florida State out of it, not just in my opinion. Um, I think just that would be the case. Um, like we were just talking about, people already want to get them out even if they win. So, um, uh, yes, I'm still salty. Um, so that opens up two spots. If we're saying that wa- the winner of Washington or Oregon gets in, um, and then they're also going to need UGA to beat Alabama. So then that's UGA at number one. It's Washington or Oregon at number two. And then that leaves two more spots. If Texas takes care of business against Oklahoma State, um, then realistically they would be number three, probably. And then... I guess then the committee has to decide between Michigan or the loser of Washington, Oregon, probably. Um, Cause Alabama would be out. They have two losses. Florida state would be out because they want to get them out anyway. Um, and then you can't put Ohio state above Michigan because Michigan beat them or whatever. So realistically, I think Texas, maybe they don't even need all of those things, all of UGA to win Michigan and Florida state to lose, but they need two out of those three things to happen for sure. Um, in order to guarantee them a spot. Does that, do you agree with that? With my reasoning? I think I'm more, pessimistic about Texas than you are. Um, So if you're a Texas fan, buckle up because the best of it is over for you on this episode. Um, Boo bitches. Boo. So, so I guess I don't, I don't even get a rebuttal then. I'm just like, Nope. Okay. That's it. That's enough (laughs) Texas in the college football playoff talk. I say my piece. I stop recording. I close my laptop. I go to bed. Um, here's what I'm looking at. And I mean, they've laid it out already, but like Georgia Bama. I think that the only way Georgia doesn't make this playoff is if they get shit on completely. Like, 20 point loss or more to Bama. I think anything better than that, they're in. Um, so Georgia's in because I don't see him getting shit on, like, period. Um, Georgia's in, in my estimation. Michigan, I don't see him losing to Iowa, and you need that hap- to happen in like like, in addition to all the other things that need to go right your way, but. Michigan's probably in 
But like, even if they're not, okay, let's say everything goes right for Texas, which means UGA beats Alabama, Michigan loses to Iowa, um, Washington, Oregon, like, I guess Oregon would have to, I think this is what you said, right? Oregon would have to lose that so that you have undefeated Washington and then two loss Oregon. Um, so Washington's now in there. Uh, UGA's in there. There's two. Um, Florida State has to lose to Louisville. I mean, no bias here because it's our teams, but like Michigan and Florida State are not both losing this weekend. Um, like, I I don't see it, man. Um, I, I technically see like the road ahead. I just think that road is closed. <laughs> um, sorry. It's slightly <laughs> cracked open. It's it's more open than Ohio State's, even though Ohio State is ranked higher. Like, what are they gonna do in the AP poll? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like if you're Ohio State, kiss my ass. Um, if you're Ohio State, there is bias there. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like, if you're Ohio State, what are you thinking about? Like, oh well, maybe if Michigan loses to Iowa, they'll put us in. No, because. Because then they're just going to go, okay, Michigan only has that loss because they played an extra game than you, and they only played that extra game because they beat you last week. Like, Ohio State's done. Season's cooked. Go home. Cry in Ohio. Um, Texas, it's like, it's that situation where if you squint really hard, like, you can you can see like the way that they need to go but like shit man <laughs> like ain't no way well, it's all happening well okay let's say uga wins michigan wins washington wins okay uga michigan washington all win yeah so they they're in the top three spots guaranteed that's it florida state loses to louisville that means that they're they're just going to be out. Oregon's going to be out because they lost to Washington twice, so they're done. Alabama's going to be out because they lost to Georgia. They have two losses. So then it comes down to Texas and Ohio State as the the final two realistic options for the number four spot. Do you take Texas, who has a win against Alabama, loss against Oklahoma, or do you take Ohio State, whose only loss was to number two Michigan by six points? I can see a situation where they determine Ohio State is a better team than Texas, and they put Ohio State at number four in that scenario. Now, Texas will have a conference championship, which I think could potentially put them ahead of Ohio State, but if all of that other stuff happens, which honestly feels like it it is a a pretty realistic possibility, in my opinion, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, all winning, that's pretty realistic. Um, Sure, Oregon's favored, um, Alabama, UGA, it's going to be pretty close, but all three of them winning, not crazy to think about. Um, Florida State losing, not that crazy to think about. Um, Then I could potentially see Ohio State making it. Now, If that did happen, I think we have to look at it and we have to say there is corruption because there's no way 
that Ohio State can lose back-to-back years against Michigan, no conference championship, and then sneak into the fourth spot. That just can't happen two years in a row. There's got to be corruption if that happens. Um, That's all I'm going to say. But there is a path because we're talking about the top eight teams and we're saying all all these teams have a potential to make it. Um, I think if Ohio State makes it, it is a travesty, though, um, because there are too many other good teams that, that deserve it. Um, I think more, but I did want to put it out there. There is that scenario. Um, but before Mike's head explodes, <laughs> we'll probably go ahead and wrap up this segment. So that was our breakdown of um, the conference championship games, a little bit of rivalry week in there. And then obviously a lot of college football playoff talk as well. Um, Mike, I'm going to put you on the spot. Before this week's uh, this weekend, who will make the college football playoff? I want one through four. Who's it going to be? We didn't plan for this. I'm just putting you on the spot because it's fun. UGA number one, Michigan number two, Oregon three, Washington four. Get at me. Okay, so you think Oregon and Washington both make it? I think we get a close game there between Washington-Oregon. Oregon gets in by winning. Washington gets in by virtue of their only loss being a close loss to Oregon in the conference championship. All right, well, that wraps up this segment. Wait, no, 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 You ain't slick. You ain't slick. No, that was slick, though. I just knew you weren't going to be able to get... I wasn't going to be able to get away with it. Um, uh, so, this is the part where I can either go one of two directions. I can go a very similar direction to you, which was what I was initially thinking. Or I could just go in a completely different direction just to give some intrigue there. AKA, um, I have two choices. I can agree or disagree. <laughs> I guess that's that's fair. Although, Dave, if we would have, <laughs> hey, I got a good grade in philo- in my one philosophy class in at Georgia College. Okay, so um, come at me, Doctor Winchester. Shout out. Anyways, um, so I feel like it's going to be a good game. I have UGA winning, so they're going to be number one. There's just no way Iowa wins. So Michigan's got to be two. I think Oregon does win, which puts them at number three. But screw it. I got to put Florida State at number four because what kind of a fan would I be if I didn't say that? So we'll have the the same top three, and then I'll put my team at four, which I think if we win, we, we deserve to be there anyway. So um, that's going to be our predictions. Um, I thought about going off the rails but i honestly like i've been doing enough mental gymnastics trying to figure this out that i was just not i just couldn't do it again so um you know what part of me just hopes for absolute chaos this weekend to ensue and there to be an impossible decision and a lot of people just getting really up in their feelings part of me wishes for that and then the other part of me is like all right you know what as long as we get some really good games that's all that matters um, since 
my team is in it, but also kind of not in it. Um, so with all that being said, hope that you've enjoyed our breakdown. I know it's been a lot, um, but those are our predictions. Yeah, let me summarize this segment this way. You may be sitting there listening like it's the end of the segment, and I feel like I have more questions than I have answers. I feel like that's almost like how you naturally should feel going into this selection process. Like what I'm sure you noticed throughout that segment was a lot of what ifs, a lot of like, if this happens, then this will happen. But if this happens and this can't happen and this needs to happen, it's like, it's like that, that meme from, I, is it from the office or always it's from one of those shows with like the guy pointing to the billboard with all the things going in different directions, you know, like, I feel like that's us like trying to explain like how we go from all of these teams to four in this playoff and the selection committee and all that. Um, I understand it's a lot of like what ifs and ifs thens and all this, but that's what makes it fun. Question mark. Um, Next year, it'll be more straightforward, but hope that this gives you something to think about uh, going into that selection process, just to give you a feel for how, up in the air this all is and of course after the conference championship games a lot of these ifs and what ifs will naturally dissipate you know if michigan wins and there's a whole big one just taken care of right there yeah and you know if you've made it this far you love college football like we love college football so you know what it's fun just just talking about it and you know what it's fun that this year there are a lot of teams that probably deserve it. It's also kind of ironic that in the last year of the four-team playoff, this is the year when we have more teams than ever before that probably do deserve to make it. So it's just funny. Uh, but that is, mercifully, going to end the segment. When we come back, we're going to get into the hot seat and fun fact to close out the show. So like Dave said, we're going to get into the hot seat and we're sticking with college football this is a couple weeks old but we have yet to talk about it and it needs to be talked about Jimbo Fisher is gone at A&M uh he's leaving with a 45 and 25 record at A&M and a 77 and a half million dollar buyout holy shit um so in 2021 they had signed this deal for 95 million through 2031 wait for it fully guaranteed crazy um so he's um owed 19.3 million dollars within the next at this point i think 42 days somewhere in there um the rest will be paid through annual payments of 7.2 million dollars through the year 2031 so He's free to go find another coaching job that will pay him additional income and get $7.2 million a year for the next eight years. Um, they, of course, fired him after a 6-4 and four start to this season um, with losses to um, Alabama and Tennessee in back-to-back weeks. Close games, mind you, but still. Um, yeah, so... Jimbo's gone. Dave, of course, this was your former head coach at Florida State. Um, so 
Go ahead, spit that. I want to hear your thoughts on the Jimbo situation. Freaking Jimbo, man. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those weird situations where, like, yes, he delivered me that championship in 2013. And so for that, I will always be grateful. Uh, however, he is basically directly responsible for the past seven years or so of Florida State football that have been absolutely almost unendurable. Um, so when he moved to Texas A&M, right, I was like, good riddance at this point. <laughs> like, you're going to have everything you want there. You're going to have, you know, better facilities, which is something that he was, you know, kept complaining about, which Florida State is actually getting new facilities now. Um, you're you're going to have more control um, over certain things. Um, you know, you're going to have, you're going to be paid a lot more money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one thing that Jimbo has always done extremely well is recruit. I remember his first year or two at Texas A&M, I mean, he was pulling like top two, top three classes, um, you know, five star after five star signing up. I don't know what it is about the man that, that makes guys want to want to sign up to play for him, but he's obviously got something. Um, And so he had everything that he wanted at Florida state. You know, he started complaining about things not being up to his standards and et cetera, et cetera. But at Texas A&M, he had everything that he wanted. He was in the SEC with primetime matchups. He had all the facilities. He had all the money. He had all of the, the big recruiting classes, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, that was not enough for him to be able to keep his job. After the 9-1 and season in 2020, um, during COVID, he's gone 19 and 15 since then. He's lost 10 of the last 15 games that they played against Power Five opponents. That almost seems impossible to do with that roster, with the resources that he had at his disposal. Uh, I don't know what's happened to him. I think, honestly, it might have been it's, maybe it's an ego thing. Um, I, I honestly don't know, but I think it's hilarious that, that he got fired. I think it's kind of crazy that Texas A&M, I don't know what kind of boosters they have, but they've got to be some really rich folks because the, them just saying, you know what, we'd rather pay you 70, however many million dollars, not to be a part of this program and to go like, I'm sure you're going to go coach somewhere else. We'd rather pay you to go coach a different team than what we want to do, you know, to have you in our building leading our, uh, our players and our staff and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I just think what a fall from grace it's been um, when you get paid that much money and you have everything you need. Yeah. The standards are, you know, deservedly very, very, very high. And he, I just, I mean, I just read you the stats, 19 and 15 in the past few years, 10 out, like five and 10 against power five opponents in that time, that ain't going to get it done. So good riddance, Jimbo. Enjoy your money. Um, I think the fact that 
these buyouts happen and these coaches get paid so much money to not coach is absolutely ludicrous. Um, but I think Jimbo deserves to be on the hot seat for having everything that he ever wanted um, and doing absolutely nothing with it. Um, I think Texas A&M also has to be on the hot seat. You thought Jimbo was the guy. You paid him all this money to do what? <laughs> to go 5-10 and 10 against Power 5 opponents in the past few years. Like, that's just not going to get it done. So everybody gets put on the hot seat in that situation. Um, it's, it's honestly hilarious to me as a, a former, you know, him being my former head coach. So, um, you know, it's just one of those situations where it's just like, man, oh man, Jimbo, 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 you know? Yeah. Like, I guess my two thoughts here are number one, if you're Jimbo, like what next? Because you have two options. You find a different coaching job, which, you know, if he does that, wherever he goes is worse. Um, He's not going to find a better coaching situation available than A&M. He's just not. And the better places are probably looking for assistance from like UGA, Bama, Michigan, like um, any of these places like Oregon. Washington shit like can I get an OC or DC from one of these successful playoff teams not this washed up guy that they just paid 77 and a half million to screw off you know like he he's not going to get a competitive job he's probably going to get like a I don't know like just in terms of like caliber team I'm thinking about like a hmm like an Oregon state type or like a hmm, like an Illinois, you know, like a, a power five school. That's not like actually competitive. Well, so that was harsh to Oregon state, but like an Illinois, a power five school. That's not like competitive, but like thinks that, you know, Oh, maybe if we add the right coach and a good recruiter at that, then in, in a couple years we are, his other option is, to piss around his house and get paid $7 million a year to do so. Um, He's not the youngest buck. Um, So like, it's a nice way to retire, you know, (laughs) like throw up the deuces, but like disgracefully Um, the dishonorable discharge from coaching. Um, Yeah. So that's one. Number two is like what you said that really stood out to me, which so true a&M here is literally saying you are more valuable to us away from our football team. You are so bad that we will continue to pay you to not show up here and be around these young men. Like, damn. <laughs> like, holy shit. I wonder who they're going to replace him tough. with. <laughs> right? Like, I would say that's disrespectful, but like, no, not really. I, I'm curious to see who comes in and takes the place of Jimbo because inevitably the like statement around that is this guy is so much better than Jimbo that we will pay him his salary and then pay Jimbo $7 million and all that combined 
makes a makes it worth it to have this guy instead of Jimbo. So I can go ahead and tell you who they announced as the new head coach. Oh, I missed this. Um, Mike Elko, who until recently was the coach, the football coach at Duke, um, which before like this year would have been like not a great appointment. Um, he actually made Duke not not too bad this year. Um, he also spent four years working under Jimbo from 2018 to 2021 before getting his first head coaching opportunity at Duke. He went 16-9 over the past two seasons, was the ACC Coach of the Year last year. Um, so basically, they're paying Jimbo's assistant uh, to coach instead of Jimbo. Um, now, he's exper- he experienced some, some um, success at Duke, which in terms of football – that's that's pretty impressive, right? Um, however, it does make me concerned how much did he learn at Jimbo's knee over those four seasons? Uh, and are you going are you going to experience those same struggles that you had before? In terms of what Mike Elko is saying about this, he's saying we are going to build the premier football program in the country. We are not going to talk about it anymore. We are going to be about it. We'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> it it's just it's just funny um, how you know instead of going for a completely new thing, you're like you know that that guy who was with us for a while and he's been good at Duke. So let, let's go with him. <laughs> Wait, he he was under Jimbo for four. That's okay. It doesn't matter. Um, that's the guy. Which, um, I will say, he is more of a defensive guy. So maybe that'll be a, a more positive thing for you know a different kind of identity for him. Because um, offensively, Texas A&M has not been about it the past few years, and that's supposed to be you know Jimbo's calling card. So it is a different approach in that respect. So we'll see. I don't I don't wish any ill towards. Mike Elko or anything or Texas A&M necessarily. Um, it's just more funny to me that Jimbo's getting replaced by his assistant. <laughs> oh. Yeah. There aren't many teams that I'm like more neutral about than A&M. Like, to be honest, I'm just like, they were fun to watch when Johnny Manziel was there, but I feel like they've never been in a game where I actively wanted them to lose. And the only games where I've actively wanted them to win were against teams that I just don't like, like a UGA or something. Like, it's just like the most whatever team to me, but with all these resources. Like, he's got the tools in front of him. Let's see what he does with them. See if he can actually be about it. But we will see if Elko is actually able to deliver. Now, who we don't have to worry about delivering is Dave, because we already know Dave is going to deliver with that fun fact every single yeah. episode. So what's it going to be this week? That's right. Um, so I'm actually sticking to sports for hey. this fun fact. Um, I've had this one in my back pocket for a while. So this stat might have actually adjusted a little bit since um, since I saved it, but regardless 
the the sentiment will be the same. So we're going to shift gears. We've been talking about college football uh, this entire show. We're going to end on uh, the NBA and specifically probably the GOAT coach, Greg Popovich. And in this, uh, this is kind of a fitting end to this episode as well as we were talking about Jimbo um, and, you know, the turnover, coaching turnover at Texas A&M. And that's kind of an ongoing story in terms of generally uh, how sports go nowadays. It's the the coach usually might last three or four years at whatever destination and then is probably going to be sent packing to go somewhere else. Um, However, there is one man who has stood the test of time and stayed at the same organization. And that's Greg Popovich. He's lasted 27 years as the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, which fun fact, that's almost as long as I've been alive, which is pretty crazy to think about. Um, In that time, every other NBA team has had at least three different head coaches. Greg Popovich has faced 307 different head coaches in the past 27 years. I'm going to repeat that. 307 different head coaches in the last 27 years. And yet, he has stayed in the same place for all of that time. And what has he accomplished? Five championships in three different decades. 22 straight playoffs, which is an NBA record, and has become the winningest coach in NBA history. So in this era, in in this um, you know age of of sports where head coaches only last a few years, um, like for example, this season in the NBA, only four coaches have been with their team for at least eight years. So we're talking probably every five years at at minimum uh, or maximum, somebody leaves. Um, Popovich has stayed the same, has seen success, and is continuing. Maybe we'll we'll see how long he he keeps going, but I feel like in my mind there's no real debate. He's the goat, um, and just wanted to give him his flowers and and kind of say some of those facts because just thinking about the longevity there and the success, it's basically, I don't, who knows if we'll ever see it again, to be honest, you know, it's, it's that special of an achievement. So goat behavior and no, I don't see that like being replicated. Uh, like you said, uh, turnover for coaches is so common. I don't see anyone getting the the leeway, the opportunity to to try to replicate that. Like I think about like a Steve Kerr, right? Um, he's earned like some grace, but like in a few years, you know, long before he's approaching. Popovich's uh, tenure time, 
Draymond, Clay, Steph, retired. How many bad seasons does he get before he and or the organization decide it's time for a change? Uh, I don't see him being here 20 years later. Uh, and like, he'd be like the best right now, right? Like, and next up you got Eric Spolstra. But like, now we, we have to talk about like the success. He has two rings. Um, and those two rings came with uh, Wade, LeBron, Bosch, Ray Allen, all that. Um, and he's come close twice. Uh, and like since, other than like outside of LeBron being there on the heat. Those are the two right now that I'm like, if anyone right now has even a slight chance, it's one of them. Otherwise, you like you start looking elsewhere, right? Maybe you look at Denver and like Mike Malone or Michael Malone, sorry. Uh, it's Denver. Like Miami and Golden State are nice markets. Denver's not. Jokic leaves, you're done. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Um, and you have one ring. Like, and I guess like to add to this, like Popovich has done this in San Antonio, uh, as opposed to like in LA and New York, you know, whatever, Miami. Um, there's no way I, he's going down as the goat. He's staying down as the goat. And there's obviously a lot of talk about Wimbenyama and everything, but I feel like it's just so fitting that at this point in his career, when he's in his freaking seventies, um, yeah, sure. The Spurs are not, they're not winning a lot of games right now. Um, but what he is doing is the, you know, a lot, all of that wisdom, all of, um, that experience that he's gained coaching David Robinson, coaching Tim Duncan, Ginobili, Tony Parker, et cetera, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he's now being able to impart on what everybody is considering the NBA's next big thing. Um, and so whether or not coach pop sees the fruits of his labor um, in terms of actually continuing to coach the team when that comes good, that, you know, who knows, but it's almost like that's kind of his parting, you know, that, that last element of his legacy of like, I'm going to, to do everything I can to make sure that this kid who has, you know, the potential to be, um, you know, the best player in the NBA um, at, at some point in his career, I'm going to groom him and, and give him everything that I have um, to hopefully see that happen. And, you know, what a fitting in that would be to his career, um, you know, depending on how long he wants to keep, keep coaching, of course, but it's just a really cool thing to, you know, he can just check off all the boxes, you know? So um, shout out to Pop. And with that, I think it's time to draw this episode to a close. We appreciate you, of course, and with your patience and flexibility as we took last week off. Um, but, you know, we're really excited, of course, about this upcoming weekend of college football games. We will be glued to our TVs, as I'm sure you will be as well. Um, so make sure to interact with us on social media at Mike and Dave pod, um, you know, with your, your reactions to the games as they're going on, anything like that. Uh, I'm sure we'll be on there 
as well. Um, and yeah, just really looking forward to seeing how all this shakes out. Yeah. And if you have questions or comments for us, especially like after the conference championship games, Hey guys, how do you think this is going to happen? Or what do you think is going to happen now that this happened? You know, anything like that, anything that we didn't preempt in this episode, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave pod. Uh, and we'd be happy to jump on there and answer or respond to whatever questions or comments you have there. Otherwise our next episode, episode 69 will be scheduled to release on December 15th. So we'll be looking forward to that as well. But until that time, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast.